0: pray. Holy God, blow through our lives and stir our hearts until we are born anew. Amen. Our family has been reading the Relent devotional, which is in the North Ex, by the way. And this past Monday, the booklet asked you to look out the window where your plant is positioned and jot down things you see that are full of life outside. Maddie got the paper and the pencil and Miles got up on a chair to see out better And I was just listening in. Now remember, it was trying to be winter here in central PA, and most things were not green or growing outside. Even the birds were sparse. So we thought, what is there anyway that could be full of life outside? The results of their findings were interesting. Maddie. Well, the grass, I think. Miles. And the trees. Maddie. Oh, the bushes, because they have buds on them, so that's like a sign of new life. Miles. Miles. The trees, because as usual, he thinks Maddie is ignoring him. And as usual, he's right. <laughs> Maddie, and the flowers. So what else? Miles, the wind. w wind. Because <laughs> he's learning to sound stretch, so he sounds everything out. Maddie laughing. Come, the wind, come on. Miles, wind. Maddie, the wind. The wind is alive. More laughing. Since Maddie was taking the notes, the wind didn't make it onto the paper. Miles would have added it. Would you have? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know the right answer to that question. Is the wind full of life? When I was a kid, I would have added it to the list. You know, we were reading a Peppa Pig book the the other day where the family's like bored and it's fall and the daddy pig says, let's go out and play in the wind. And They do. They watch the leaves swirl, they chase down a hat that has flown off little brother George's head, and then they even lean into the wind and see if it will hold them up. It looks like so much fun. Reading the book makes you want to go out and play in the wind, too. It makes it seem as if the wind could be a playmate, a partner in the day's adventures. The scriptures have a love for the wind that is unmatched by even children's books. A wind from God swept over the face of the waters in Genesis, and the earth was created, and that is like the first sentence of the Bible. That is the first thing of God that is recorded in our ancestral storytelling that has been passed down for generations and centuries, a wind from God. If all wind is descended from this wind, then surely it is full of life, right? It is from God. In our gospel reading for this day, a Pharisee named Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Jesus calls him a teacher of Israel. He's a student of the Torah, a keeper of knowledge. The rabbis advise studying the Torah at night in the quiet of the darkness when the distractions of the day had faded. So here the gospel of John has brought Nicodemus to study Jesus, as it were, the Torah himself. He's making a list of the things that are full of life, full of God. He is unsure whether or not to include Jesus on that list, though he's not discounted it entirely, or he wouldn't be here, would he? Like any good student and keeper of knowledge, teacher of others, he starts with what he knows. Jesus, you're clearly a rabbi. You perform signs that must be connected to the presence of God. It's not even a question at him. It's a statement of how he sees the world, of what he knows to be true already. And Jesus' answer, well, it isn't the kind of answer he thought was coming. It's an invitation to birth, to a whole new way of being in the world, of seeing the world, a paradigm shift, we call it. And he brings it all together with the wind. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. One preacher puts it this way. Jesus says to Nicodemus, turn your mind inside out, step into the air, ride the wind, be born anew. Nicodemus responds, how can these things be? It reminds me of that conversation between Maddie and Miles about the wind. How can these things be? It's part wonder and part ridiculous laughter. And yet I hear Nicodemus question as part hopefulness. As in, could they be? How could they be? It is where we find ourselves when we think about stepping into the air, born all over again. In those scriptures, the word for wind also means breath or spirit. The Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters in Genesis, perhaps. The breath of God that brought life into the dry bones of Ezekiel was like a strong gust of wind, maybe. The breeze blowing gently around Nicodemus that night, he came to speak to Jesus, quite possibly was the Holy Spirit, stirring up his heart as well as his mind, I think. The wind might be full of life, after all, if we consider it to be the Holy Spirit, the very life-giving breath of God who breathed into the dust and ashes and made them to be living beings. Could that be the same wind that blows outside your window? How could it be? It's something worth considering, especially this Lent in our relenting. It's something worth considering this noticing the wind and wondering about where it comes from and what life it may hold. It's something worth considering as temperatures rise and glaciers melt, as storms increase and climate refugees displaced from their ancestral homelands, along with hundreds of species, are in grave danger. It's something worth considering while we contemplate that as a result of these human-made disasters, of our valuing profits and convenience over people, of our view of the earth's bounty as just another resource or commodity, that the vulnerable are the most affected by our actions or lack of action I'm reminded of the Tony Award-winning musical that Curtis and I had the privilege to see recently on Broadway, Town, a twist on the Greek tragedy of God's Hades and Persephone, Persephone the God of Spring or Nature. In one of the songs, she sings to Hades in the underworld. Every year, it's getting worse. What have you become? Coal cars and oil drums. Warehouse walls and factory floors. I don't know you anymore. And in the meantime, up above, the harvest dies and people starve. Oceans rise and overflow. It ain't right, and it ain't natural, she sings. I picture the scene with Nicodemus and Jesus with myself and God as akin to the classic movie scene, you know the one, with a studious student wearing the glasses and clutching tightly to the stack of notes, our heads bent over them, pointing to the facts and the research that we have carefully footnoted, And then there is a gust of wind. The papers fly up and out of our reach and they fall like confetti all over the ground, forcing us to look up, look up and see just who it is that we are talking to and demanding that we notice the wind and pay it attention and behold its will that is not our own. If we notice it, could the wind have something to teach us that we don't already know? Could the earth, the plants, the animals, the waterways and mountains, for that matter, have something to teach us? Could that be? How could that be? You know, learning from the earth is a hallmark of indigenous knowledge systems. Plants are the oldest teachers in their concept of the world because they have been here longer, for starters. The earth, they say, can teach us many things we have forgotten or to our detriment never learned, like real beauty, is in diversity, like how to establish deep roots and yet bend toward the light, like how to cherish both the sun and the rain and persevere in all kinds of conditions, like how to give generously of your fruit, your gifts, your time, and most of all, how death is not the end of our story. We recently had to cut down a tree in our yard, a beloved English walnut that was probably 100 years old or more. The stories that tree had, the things it witnessed, I can't even imagine. It was a sad day when it came down, when the wood was chopped up and hauled away, when even the stump was ground up. But it was not the end of that tree. It is mulch now holding in water for another tree or plant, and as it decomposes, it will fertilize the ground on which it sits and will change the makeup of that soil, and it will nurture another plant that springs forth again. It reminds me of an article I read about a pastor who helped his congregation move towards natural burial, laying to rest their dead in the woods behind the church. While many resisted at first, those who came to use the practice for their family members told just how much they learned about the connection between death and rebirth from the experience, about resurrection now and in the age to come. Who they learned it from, really, was the earth itself. It was from the trees that their beloved dead were planted under. It was from the wind that rustled the branches as they lowered loved ones into the ground, the wind inviting them to lean into it so it could hold them up in their grief. When it comes to our care of creation on a spiritual and physical level, we're all Nicodemus. We start with what we know, we think we have the answers, but after the wind blows and God's spirit stirs us, we begin to be reborn through the cross into a world of knowledge that is not our own. We start anew, as it were, no longer at the top of the hierarchy of the natural world, but near the bottom, near the ground, As students of the plants and the trees, teachers all around us, who say the strangest thing in God's voice, consider the wind. One well-respected botanist and member of a native tribe puts it this way, we learn from these other living beings not by their words, of course, but by how they dance in the wind. You know, the animated film Pocahontas captures this native and biblical spirit especially in its theme song, The Colors of the Wind. Here are a few lines. You think you own whatever land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. You think the only people who are people are the people who look and think like you. But if you walk in the footsteps of a stranger, you'll learn things you never knew you never knew when i was like 20 i attended the retirement service for a beloved senior pastor in a very large congregation in maryland he had served for many years he was a faithful preacher and teacher well respected by the community i don't remember his sermon in in, in its entirety but i remember clear as a bell him saying I believe Jesus died for every person under heaven, and I believe Jesus died for every rock and every tree and every stream. And at first I thought, oh, I'm glad he's retiring because he's, like, losing it. How could Jesus have died for the trees and the rocks? What could they possibly need? But then, I don't know, something about his words or his faithfulness to the scriptures, or maybe it was the wind that day, but something made me hold on to his confession of faith for 20 years. Now I hear his voice every time I consider who it is that longs for redemption and restoration and renewal, who it is that Jesus died for, and the face of the earth comes to mind things you never knew you never knew is the wind alive my friends you have not entirely discounted it or you would not be here now would you this is a place after all where you have felt the wind shake up your life where god has stirred your soul or breathed life back into you when you thought you would never come back from the dead sometimes that is through words And sometimes it's that dance of grain and grape and water that runs like a stream full of mercy and grace. And often this is the place where we do behold the cross lifted up high for the renewal of even the earth, which seems an impossibility in our time. And we can only respond, how can these things be? But in hope, we dare to ask, could this be? Nicodemus would tell us, dear friends, lean into that like the wind itself until it changes you and turns the whole world upside down. Amen.